G'day, welcome to Partakers. This is a series of studies called Luke Looks Back, based in the Gospel of Luke, and is presented to us by Roger Kirby. Over to you, Roger. This is study 29, from Luke chapter 23, verse 26, to chapter 24, verse 12, about the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. All history pivots on the events described in these verses. The story is told with striking simplicity and absence of comment. We're going to read, first of all, chapter 23, verses 26 to 43. As they led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him, and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the barren women the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the King of the Jews, save yourself. There was a notice written above him which read, This is the King of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Many people played a part in the judicial murder of Jesus. In order, from chapter 22, verse 47 on, we read about Judas, the arresting squad, Peter, the men guarding Jesus, the council of the elders, Pilate, Herod, the soldiers, the crowd in front of Pilate's house, the soldiers leading Jesus to his death, 
the watchers and rulers at the place called the skull, and the criminals on their crosses. For each of these we might consider three things. First, what their motives, if any, were for what they did. Secondly, think of a present-day situation where the same motives might be apparent. And thirdly, wonder which of these motives we might sometimes have ourselves. Question one, then. Select three people, or groups of people from that list, and consider these things. Motive, present-day equivalent, and personal reflection for each of them. The arresting squad, the men guarding Jesus, and the soldiers were all obeying orders, so motive doesn't really come into it, except for those who mocked Jesus rather more vigorously than they might have done. The problem of when to disobey orders is still with us. No one has ever been able to explain why Judas did what he did completely satisfactorily. Peter acted from a desire for self-preservation, something we have probably all been guilty of in some small or large way at some time in our lives. The elders, Pilate, Herod, and the rulers watching the crucifixion allowed political aims to dominate their thinking. They thought their ideas more important than the life of the most important man who ever lived. Some people still allow purely political aims to lead them to dreadful acts of wickedness. Only the friends watching beside the cross, of whom the most important, according to John, were women and just one male disciple, come out of the story with any credit at all. They had seen something in this man that transcended the danger of being associated with him. May we have the strength and courage to do the same. Question 2. Paul talks about sharing Jesus' sufferings in Romans chapter 8, verse 17, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 5, and in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. For some of us, those statements about sharing Jesus' sufferings may be reflected in our own lives. What would we achieve by such suffering? Would any such sufferings be in any way redemptive? Of course, sufferings, by definition, are not pleasant. Such things give us a great sense of solidarity. These would give us a much enhanced sense of solidarity with Christ, of fellowship with Him. And apart from our feelings, there would be the practical experience of His glory that Paul also mentions. Now we read chapter 23, verses 44 to 56. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. 
But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance, watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. The tearing of the temple curtain symbolizes the opening of the way to God to everybody, you and me included. Each and every attempt by men to re-erect a barrier to God by saying that only they have full access or only in their way is it possible to approach God, is sadly mistaken. After the death of Jesus, the action moves to the apparent outsiders. Joseph of Arimathea was not one of the leading disciples, and the women were second-rate citizens in the thinking of those days. Question 3. Which one sentence of the story of the crucifixion will you take away as the most memorable for you? Different people would give different answers to this. For me, I think it is that brief comment of the centurion, seeing what happened, praised God, because that mirrors my thoughts as I read about what happened. And so we come to the resurrection. We read the first 12 verses of chapter 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again? Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, 
And he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. This is one of the four accounts of what happened that we have. They do not exactly agree about what happened, differing in the way that eyewitness accounts of any surprising, unexpected event will do. The women set out to do the obvious, necessary things for a dead person. They did not agonise in prayer about what they should do, perhaps did they leave that to the male apostles, they were hugely blessed as a result of undertaking the obvious tasks. Is that a lesson for us? Question 4. Why was it women, in those days considered unreliable witnesses to anything, who were there first? What are we expected to learn from the fact that they were first to meet the risen Lord, according to Matthew and John? The New Testament challenges the way women were thought of and treated in those days. It does this obliquely, rather than directly, in gospel stories like this, in the way Paul refers to women, particularly in the last chapter of Romans, where Priscilla has a dominant role when she is mentioned with her husband, in what is said of Phoebe in the same chapter, and also that Junius, a woman, is called an apostle, and many other women are mentioned and commended in that chapter. The Church, like the societies in which it has existed for most of its history, has been male-dominated. We need to be careful to think about the balance we see in Scripture. The most important event in the history of the world was the death of Jesus on the cross, for that act alone atoned for the rebellion of all men and women, including you and me, against God. That we know this is the correct understanding of what happened is because of what followed, the resurrection of Jesus to the new life of the ages. Had he not risen, he would have been just one more of the many failed would-be messiahs of those days. There would have been no church, no Christian movement. Many people have tried to argue that it did not happen. None of them have given a satisfactory explanation of what did happen. We know without the slightest doubt that there was a Jewish nation there when Jesus was born, and that a remarkable movement of people known as Christians started very soon after his death. Something happened in between to cause the move from one to the other. What was it? Only the biblical account recorded in the four Gospels makes any sense of the gap. We, you, have to come to terms with what happened and decide how we, you, are going to respond to it. The next and last study in this series considers the two episodes describing what happened when disciples met the risen Christ. These are clearly written to challenge any and every reader or hearer to faith. So, if you are not already a follower of Jesus, you are going to be challenged to think deeply about what you have heard. Will you be prepared to follow him, whatever the cost may be? Look forward to our last study. Thanks, Roger. 
This series is on every Sunday, but as usual on Partakers, www.partakers.co.uk, there is something new available every day to inspire your Christian life.